thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. Today, we have another bonus episode for you. It is the recording of a Twitter space that we did on November 10th, 2021. It is, I am Coach Clint, Stephen Wealthy, the Frugal Gay, 11, JTX, REI, and myself. And we talk real estate horror stories. Despite the title, we have a really good time. We laugh a bit. We learn from each other. And we do what all real estate investors do. We carry on. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining, everybody. We are going to be talking tonight about real estate horror stories or real estate nightmares. We're all pretty excited for that. And the reason we wanted to cover this particular topic is not to scare people away from real estate investing, but to actually, um, you know, just let people know that you can learn from things. Some of these things are just things that have happened to us. Some of them are things that we've done to ourselves. Um, And you can learn from our mistakes, but you can also see that real estate investing, even though it's not always, you know, amazing rainbows and butterflies, we still all fully deeply believe in this investment class. Um, So why don't we go around that we've covered the the purpose for tonight and do our introductions. Clint, do you want to start? Oh, yeah. Let's do Clint. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to pop open. So uh, background, I am 43 years old. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia. I am married and have two sons. One is 13, one is 10 years old. From a real estate perspective, I have eight doors aside from our single family home. Let me just fact check that. Seven doors aside from our single family home. Uh, total real estate value is $9 million, And the single family home is just over a third of that. And the rest is made up by five townhouses, an apartment building, and an Airbnb vacation rental cottage. That is me in a nutshell. All right, Stephen? Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, Stephen Wealthy. I have, from a real estate point of view, I have my primary residence. Uh, I live in Calgary, Canada, and I also have uh, one rental property. And on the side, I'll flip houses when there's, a, when there's an opportunity. So uh, through COVID, uh, there were a couple of there. So we flipped two homes successfully, uh, made a good um, chunk of money on those. And uh, through that, come across uh, really some incredible stories of just how, uh, you know, real estate can go sideways sometimes. And my father-in-law is a very successful uh, real estate investor as well, too. So actually, tonight, I'll be sharing one of the stories he had with, with a tenant. And then I'll share a story, too, with one of the flips that we just did. And, uh, yeah, I think real estate's a terrific asset class i think you know it's it's the perennial one if you had to pick one definitely do real estate <laughs> perfect thanks steven uh tom do you want to go sure uh my name is tom brickman i am 38 years old i am a married dog dad living in dallas texas um i have 14 doors currently and half are in dallas texas and half are in um, Toledo, Ohio. Yeah, that's me. All right, and JT. All right, my name is JT, I'm 34. Uh, I invest in real estate and I 
specialize mainly in value add house hacking. And uh, right now I have three duplexes. One of them is the one I'm sitting in right now, which I'm house hacking. And um, I basically on Twitter, I just like to tweet about all the everyday things for, of a self-managing house hacker right there in the trenches. Um, I also like to talk about DIY projects and uh, throw in a little bit of mindset here and there. Yes, I see so much of myself in your tweets. I'm like, I, I relate <laughs> to that on a deep level. Um, so my name is Lauren Keen Amund. I am married. I am 32. My husband is 29. We are based in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Um, a little extra background that I don't talk about a ton, but um, my bachelor's is in finance. I have a graduate certificate in personal financial planning from Boston University. I have a nine to five and I'm a professional seller. Our portfolio consists of 40% stocks, 10% um, private equity in an engineering firm, and about 50% real estate. We have eight doors right now, and we're um, doing a 1031 on a duplex into a six unit. So um, by the end of the year, we're going to be going from eight doors to 12 doors, and that's going to be primarily short-term rentals. We are getting out of the long-term game, and when I tell you my horror story, you will understand why. All right, so that's intros. Um, I'm imagining this is going to go an hour, potentially an hour and a half. We do definitely want to um, give everyone a chance to share some of their stories. So, if you're listening, definitely like think of a think of a couple of horror stories if you want to share some. Um, our goal is to share a couple of those. Also, if you have questions along the way, please DM um, Stephen, and it's at Stephen Wealthy and then underscore. And just yeah, message him and he is going to be kind of fielding those questions. He's also doing our recording tonight. So if you have to jump off or something like that, this will be posted soon on my Adulting is Easy podcast feed. All right. So without any more ado, why don't we jump into it? And why don't we go, I guess, in the same order we introduced ourselves. So Clint, why don't you start first? All right. All right. So my horror story, I'm going to be a little different than everyone else tonight. It's not going to be about a tenant. It's going to be about a horrible experience that I had building our home. And so a lot of people think I want to build my dream house. You know, one of the things you hear is it's really hard on a relationship. A lot of people break up because they uh, can't handle making those decisions together. For us, that was fine. My wife and I are so aligned on our design sensibilities, and we were super hands-on. The issue came down to, and I talked with Lauren about this on her podcast, the issue came down to what's known as geotechnical or uh, effectively what's below the dirt. And in the area that we live, there was a lot of water below the dirt, and that meant for us to excavate so we could have our basement and have a basement suite. We had to do a lot more work than you normally would. And the costs just kept creeping up over and over again. And we were in the neighborhood of hundreds of thousands of dollars over budget, and it was all tied to this. And I still remember from a horror story perspective, we met in the room I'm in right now with our construction manager. And they'd come in with a landscaping number that seemed like an absurd budget. And they told us they'd value engineer it. And we were at the meeting to have the conversation about how they were going to get the number down. 
And so my, you know, they were going through every single line item. And my wife and I were so happy because we were saving some money. Things looked like they were going to be good. And then they, they got in. <laughs> I'm almost tearing up as I say this. They got down to the construction line item. And the number that they had was for the, con for the concrete number, sorry, for the landscaping, it was 60, I still remember, $65,000 more than had been budgeted. When they said that out loud, I recall looking at my wife and both of us were shocked and didn't say anything to the builder. And he, he, he just said, it seems like this is a lot. I'll leave you two to talk. Uh, reach out to me when you know you're resolved all in we were over budget on that project by a year and it cost us five hundred thousand dollars more than we anticipated which at the time was 25 percent of our net worth so overnight a decision i made to build my dream home cost my family 25 percent of our net worth and I still remember uh, I was driving to work and I finished work that day and I called my mother and father on the way home. And I'd been trying to be very stoic throughout the whole build process with my own family. And then talking to mom and dad on the phone, I just completely cracked, had had an absolutely uh, refreshing cry and, uh, you know, horrible to put that on my aging parents let them know I'd be okay. I just needed to get it out. And then we got through it. We built the house and we moved in three months before COVID. So we've been locked down for two years now, right on and off and on, depending on where you live. And we've been blessed to be able to be in the house. The market took off, went up 30 something percent. So we were, we were able to get it all back. But at the time, the decision to build the dream quickly became a nightmare and one of many times, as Lorna and I have talked about in the past, that I thought I'd crushed my family, uh, only to bounce back. I'm going to pass it back to you, Lauren. Thanks. Yeah, Clint, thank you for sharing that. Is this the house that you guys are still in right now? Yes, it is. Yeah, we're in it right now. Okay. So you've, you've done pretty well on it over time. Yeah, yeah. We, the net worth, because somewhere in there, we bought another four uh, rental properties. So when the market went on a tear... We've more than made up what we lost. We're, I think we've two and a half X, so we're in a good spot. Yeah. 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 And if you, um, I forget which episode it was. It's pretty recent. The one that where Clint came on, he talked about some setbacks that he's had. And I, I just, I love Clint that you're just so candid about this and willing to share because um, we all know that um, social media can be like a highlight reel. And I think that is true for personal finance as well. So we're going to, we're going to bust some of that up real good today. Thanks, Clint. All right, Stephen, what you got? So the story that I have uh, is with my father-in-law. So he has a 12-unit apartment complex uh, in in Calgary here, just north of the river of downtown. Uh, for anyone who knows and is familiar with Calgary, it's on Memorial Drive where he has this apartment complex. It's fantastic. Uh, he's had it for 34 years, and he's made a bundle of money on it, and it's positive cash flow 
I don't think he even has any debt on it. And it does fantastic with it. But so I'll always ask him, like, what's the worst story that's ever happened? And he's had, he actually has had quite a few, but the one I'm going to share with you tonight is the one that's just like, just scars my memory. And like, I just, I don't know, it always makes me a little gun shy when it comes to, to tenants and, and rentals. And so the story goes, he, he had a tenant that was in a unit and he's there for four or five months, no problem. Rents are always being paid. And then halfway through the month, uh, the tenant loses his job and he tells my father-in-law, hey, I've lost my job. I need to leave. I need to go back home. Um, I can't stay to the end of the month, um, so I'm out. And my father-in-law, he's he, he is quite a bit with uh, with the damage deposit. He likes to have that uh, ideally 60-day notice, but at least 30-day. But on a two-week notice, he tells them, I'm sorry, like I can't turn around the, t- the unit that quick, so I get your uh, damage deposit, and um, I'm sorry. They had a bit of a fight over this because the guy's like, I really need that money. I just lost my job. Um, and my father-in-law kind of stood his ground and said, no, I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's written in the lease, so you don't get it. Um, but that's life. So uh, a bit of back and forth. And then finally the tenant, the, you know, kind of says, whatever, fine. The day comes and he, he leaves. And father-in-law goes into the unit fully expecting it to be trashed or damaged or light bulbs missing or something in that order. And to his surprise, it was in perfect condition. It was incredible. Like he didn't have to do much at all to get it ready to turn it over. And in the meantime, uh, in the, you know, the short notice that he had, he was actually able to get someone uh, to, to rent the unit. And so he was able to get another tenant to come in Shortly after, I think it was before the end of the next or before the end of the month and before the start of the next month, tenant moves in and because the previous had set left it in such good order, he actually called him up and said, Hey, thank you so much for leaving it in good condition. I was able to get somebody in. I'm gonna give you half your damage deposit back. The guy was happy and took it, of course. So uh, about a month or two a month in, the new tenant calls and complains saying, there's kind of a weird odor in the unit. And my father-in-law is like, well, I don't know. Let's, you know, try and clean it. We'll see what happens. You know, we'll, we'll address it type of thing. But let's, let's see what we can do. They clean it, but it doesn't really take care of the odor. Another kind of two weeks go by, still can't get, and it's getting worse and progressively gets worse and worse. And finally, they go in and they're kind of trying to really determine where the smell is coming from. And they kind of corner it into one wall that's in the unit. And they kind of notice that there's a bit of discoloration, a bit of, um, they push on it, it's a little soft. And they, you know, put their nose up against it. And the kind of that's, that's where the smell seems like it's coming from. And so my father-in-law is quite handy. He takes out a drywall saw, starts cutting open the drywall. And to their surprise, they open it up. And inside is a carcass 
of an animal. It, he doesn't know what it was. It could have been a deer. It could have been just a whole bunch of beef or something. But there's like dead meat inside the wall. And along with it was the rot and the maggots and everything that would come with meat that had been left there for two months. And so obviously, you know, they're, it's quite disgusting. They pull it all out and there was some bit of damage and stuff with it. They repaired it all, got it all back. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly how much repair it took or, you know, but he, he's quite handy and he was able to replace the planks and replace the drywall and do everything like that and stuff. But um, he said that was by far the worst thing that he's ever had is, you know, finding out that there's meat in between <laughs> between the walls. So the, the prior tenant had literally gone home that night before or so, you know, the day or two before he left and stuffed meat in the wall tapered it up with drywall and repainted it went through all that extra effort to then hide meat in the wall and your father-in-law gave him some money back yeah yeah that's that's i think that's the worst part i I, I paid you half a month rent or half the damage deposit sorry and uh for you to put meat in my walls yeah exactly and the meat was already there yeah, yeah, it was already there. It was already there. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. if karma's a thing, that person is in trouble. <laughs> in trouble right now. Yeah. <sighs> so that's like yeah. that's a nightmare, but it got fixed, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it, it's kind of. Um, I think what it is more is that initial shock and awe of like the horror of. Um, you open up the wall and there's a. Flesh inside the wall, you know, and you're. <laughs> That shock and awe, like there's maggots on that flesh and it's like Ugh. there and what do you do with it and stuff. And he, like, you, I forget, what's that movie? Oh, I think it's like a drug cartel movie in Mexico. And they find a whole bunch of bodies stuffed in the walls in this like shed or shack or barn or something like that. Uh, it's kind of recent. Anyways, I, I forget what the title of the movie is. I'm sure some of the people who are listening are kind of remembering what it was. But it, when I saw that movie, I'm like, that's just like... When um, your dad found the meat in the wall in his in his uh, in his apartment building and stuff, you know, so th- that one's disgusting. The damage wasn't that bad though. I mean, it's just a matter of just kind of repair the wood that's rotted a little bit. Like it's not too too bad. But the one that was the worst one for him was a tenant left the sink on and <gasps> left. Like turned the sink on. Uh, somebody called them and they ran out of the building. And they were on the top floor as bad as Ugh. it could have been. And the sink overran. And you can imagine the water damage and stuff. And that actually took him, he had to get insurance for that to help yeah. pay for it and the different kind of things. And that, that took a long time. Like, that took months to repair. Um, the meat in the wall, it's just kind of shock and awe. But that took like, you know, maybe a weekend, maybe two to kind of fix and repair and get that back and stuff. But water damage can be really horrible. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know, like as bad as it is, though, he he sticks with it and he makes money hand over fist on this kind of thing. Like he's it's it's incredible. So, um, and I him and I mean, you you know, Lauren, I'm really big into crypto and Bitcoin, and him and I will go toe to toe on this now. Like, <laughs> it's getting pretty bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's getting to the point where he almost comes out and attacks me on it and stuff. <laughs> Because uh, he's very against it, he thinks it's a total scam and stuff. And we'll, we'll, you know, I think, yeah, finance hipster, you're on. So 
the arguments you bring up and that you kind of throw at me and toss at me and stuff like I get it from my father-in-law too and I'll I'll talk to them and uh anyways but it's 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 because it it real estate has been so successful and I, and I told him too like um to my father-in-law like my I'm not here to try and convince you and you've made your money you he's in his 70s he's made his money like he's he's good to go like you got money hand over fist you're making it good with real estate I'm not here trying to convince you. And, but he keeps on telling me, get out of that thing, man. It's a scam. It's going to crash. It's going to crumble. Finance hipster, he'd be with you trying to short the thing. <laughs> I, don't think that wor- so, I don't think that worked out. I don't think that worked out in this case. <laughs> but, but anyway, so we digress. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic and, and all that. But No, thank you. Thank you for sharing. See, guys, that's like probably as bad of a smell as you can get. And it was, it was fixed relatively forthwith. Um, yeah, exactly. All right, Tom. I don't know how Tom. I don't know how you can pick one, but let's let's hear what you've got. I actually haven't shared this with any of the co-hosts tonight. Um, so I've been at this for seventeen years, and I have had shootings in both states. I've had floods. I've had fires. I've had all of it. But one of my worst horror stories was in 2015. I had a um, small one-bedroom condo. And, um, I just was, I had just gone through a breakup and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to live in there because it's all paid off. And my tenants just moved out and didn't tell me. And I like was texting them for rent and getting no response. And then I started the eviction and still no response. And then I sent them like a text right before we were about to go to the eviction. And I'm like, are you guys moving or what's going on? And he finally texted me back. He's like, we moved out a month ago. So it was a paid off condo and it was just, I had HOA dues and insurance. It was like, where else could I live for 250 bucks? So I moved myself in out of, I I rented my place that I was living and I moved myself into this small condo and I didn't move a lot of stuff with me. I did one of those where I kind of purged everything and just took my bed and my clothes with me. And I had been in there for, I had it cleaned. I had it professionally cleaned. They had left a lot of stuff, and that's why I kept texting them. And the um, two people that came to clean, they had thrown out some and taken some and all that. And I am living in there, and I think it's like my third day living in there. And when I wake up, I've got all these bites all over me. And I'm like, okay, there's fleas happening here. And then I start self-Googling and it was definitely not fleas. It was definitely bed bugs. And the bed bugs were so bad that it actually took me three different companies to come in. And since it's a condo, I was attached to two other um, units. And what was happening was they would leave the unit when I would come in and get those treatments. It ended up being like $3,400 to get rid of these bed bugs. And it took three different companies to actually get rid of bed bugs. But my tenants got the bed bugs. I did confront him after the fact. And I'm like, you left because you got bed bugs, right? And he said yes. But that was a very expensive um, lesson for me because I was the end result. I'm glad I didn't move another tenant in there and have them get bed bugs. But that, um, when you look at my shootings and my floods and the tenants stealing my appliances in the middle of the night and all the different things that I've had over the past um, 17 years, the $3,400 bed bugs is probably one of my worst horror stories because 
Number one, I moved myself right into it unknowingly. Number two, my tenants left, didn't say anything, didn't give me any indication. Number three, I ended up throwing away a brand new mattress that I bought like a week before moving in because I was that paranoid. All the times that I had the companies come in to do the treatments, they would would only find two or three different bed bugs, but it was just the fact that I moved in and I got the end of that short end of that deal. So that's one of my uh, horror stories that I've encountered over the past 17 years. I do see, and, and, and I've been talking about this all week. I see so many people glamorize real estate and I like to give a realistic expectation. I have, I, in 2005, I bought a house for 85,000 and 10 years later, I sold it for 62000 I lost over $20,000, and I lost money on that house every year. So I have not had all home runs. I've had some really good home runs in, in Ohio and in Texas, and I've had some really bad duds. And, and that condo that had the bed bugs, that was a home run because I bought it for $10,000. I lived in it for a while. I collected rent on it. And then I sold it for $46,000 a few years after that. Real estate can make you a lot of money, but I like to give a realistic expectation going Yeah, I love that. And that's really what tonight is all about, certainly. And that's the thing, like, (laughs) I think what we're learning is like, if you just kind of stick with it, eventually the wins are going to outweigh the losses for sure. All right, JT. No, okay. Just a second, though. I I don't know if you want to go over it now, Tom, but you tonight have to go over one of the shootings. You can't drop... I've seen shootings and not tell us what the shootings were. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, I can, I can at least tell you the one. So uh, I had a shooting. I bought a crack house on eBay. I've talked about this a lot on Twitter. There was a shooting at my house in my backyard while my contractor was there. When I went up to the house, the uh, there was a bullet hole in the, it went right through a window. It went, landed in the door frame of the dining room. My contractor is the one that found the person outside bleeding next to my house, called the police. It was it was wild. And then I had one in Dallas, and it was actually in the same complex as the bed bug incident. But it was a, a domestic dispute between a husband and wife, and they were the unit next to me. And he was out shooting, shooting, shooting. And um, the police actually came into my unit. They evacuated us, came into my unit. And then I had all these random holes in my walls from where they were poking because the um, husband and wife had kids and they kept trying to figure out where the kids were to get them removed. So I've I've had those shooting experiences and I don't want everyone to think that I'm like living in these ghetto awful places, but this is just what's happened and, and it's happened in both states and that's why I tell both stories. But uh, everything... Ha- everything the person survived up in ohio and um the couple uh i know he ended up in jail um and she ended up selling the place and moving out so everything i guess happened and worked out like no one ended up dead so that's the happy end of my story with that (laughs) nobody ended up dead that's the happy ending (laughs) to my story (laughs) great and I got the da- I got the Dallas Police Department to pay for all the holes in my walls. <laughs> uh, since yeah. they kept- so we painted those walls and sold that unit, and that was the end of my story there. <laughs> so to go along with with yours, so I had 
at the rental that I have, I did have a shooting there. I mean, I wasn't there at all. They just, my tenant texted me and said there was a shooting and like the person literally got murdered. Like the victim. Yeah. Full on, like sad to say, but yeah, murdered. And the, my tenant wanted me to like, um, compensate for them. Uh, it's in, it's in a multi unit, but you know, like it's a, it's a condo. So it's like, in the other building and stuff. I'm like, well, why am I responsible to compensate you for like an illegal activity that happened within, you know, like, come on, like that's not, but like he, he really, it really shook him up. And well, he, yeah. Like over time, he's like, I'm, I might leave because I can't get that shooting out of my head. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I get it to some degree and stuff, but to, to build on yours, Tom, I have had a shooting and the victim passed. Yeah. It was too bad. A horrible. At least it wasn't your tenant, I guess. I'm sure there's some landlords that have those stories. And keep in mind, guys, we are going to be, Stephen is fielding his DMs for questions. Also, we are going to take some stories from the listeners as well. All right, JT, you are really up this time. All right. So uh, the, the one of the most frustrating experiences I've had as a real estate investor so far was on my first house hack. Um so we bought it in the fall and this house was in rough shape. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't well taken care of. And that was the reason we bought it. We wanted to, you know, fix it up and make it look nice. But the gutters were full of leaves and dead crap. And there were little trees growing out of the downspouts. It was uh, one of those houses where no one really did anything for the longest time. So, um, you know, in that basically meant that whenever there was a uh, any kind of water or, or it would rain, the, the water overflows because it just had nowhere to go, basically. So, you know, we fast forward to spring. <laughs> it was it was raining and uh, the ground was still frozen and the driveway at the time was uh, all gravel and it was mostly ice at that point. So, uh, you know, it was barely getting out of out of the the winter in Wisconsin. So um, then we noticed that as it rained, the water was sliding down that frozen driveway and coming into the garage. And not only that, but it was making its way somehow into the basement. So now we're getting flooding in the garage and in the basement. I just got this house. I knew it was in rough shape, but they obviously didn't tell me anything about the flooding that was obviously happening for a long time. So, so... For me, uh, I'm a DIYer, so I just had my genius idea. I would go to Home Depot. I would buy a pickaxe and a shovel. I'm going to dig a trench, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to route the water away from the house and down the hill. Done. Easy. So that's, uh, that's what I said to myself, and I started digging a trench. So you said the ground was frozen, and you're going to pickaxe it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm, fr- um, I'm from Florida, so this is all super foreign to me. Okay, continue. Sorry. Yeah. This makes total sense to me. Yeah. yeah you Canadians is, get uh, it. Oh, well, we get it. We get it. So I was, <laughs> I said, I'll buy a, you know, I'll get a pickaxe. I'll start digging a trench and a shovel. And that was my genius idea. And it really, the ground was so frozen that that alone was a nightmare, you know, just to get to, to the frozen ground but you know I, I managed to to dig the the trench to the width of the garage approximately and at the same time the trench was 
still filling up with water. <laughs> and since the ground was so frozen, I wasn't able to get it to away from the house enough. So it was filling up with water and getting into the garage and then into the basement. So that was, you know, that was pretty rough right there. And the funniest part about this, and I can laugh about it now, but at the time I was, I was so frustrated. <laughs> My wife comes in from wherever she was, I don't remember, but she pulls into the driveway and she finds me and my son soaking wet with mud everywhere. My glasses had mud, my beard had mud, my hat had mud, everything. We were uh, soaking wet. And the only thing she could think of doing was just point at us, laugh and take take pictures, basically. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me, you know, needless to say, we, we lost the battle there and uh, it you know, I, I talk about my snow shovel. I talked about it the other day, but that's exactly what I used to to shovel out the water in the garage until it stopped raining. So <laughs> we got through that way. And, you know, we had a pretty rough start in the beginning. And uh, obviously the very next thing we did was book an appointment to redo the driveways and asphalt and get all the grading done properly and all that. But until then, every time it rained, the uh, you know, the garage would flood and the basement would, would flood. And uh, we even bought, uh, you know, those pillows that they're like pillow looking things that are supposed to absorb the water and then act as a sandbag or something like that. And um, those did not work either. Uh, one time we, we had a, you know, we had a big storm and, you know, it was at night and I would have to keep getting up every hour and uh, at the time we bought a shop bag because I'm like, I'm just going to have to suck the water out and then just carry it outside. So we bought a, a shop bag and I would suck the water uh, about a half inch or so every hour. <laughs> I would suck the water out of the out of the basement and then I would go to the garage and then I would suck the water from the garage. And then whatever was left over, I would use my snow shovel and then shovel it out. I did that for hours. I barely slept that night. Uh, but you know, it, it was a really rough start to our journey here, but, and things, things got better, obviously, and, and they're much better now. I still, I still find ways to, uh, get myself in trouble, you know, every now and again. <laughs> I know. I, I appreciate your Twitter post for that JT. And I'm just like, I'm just laughing out loud here. Cause I'm like, I'm picturing myself doing this. Well, I can't picture myself with a snow shovel cause I've never touched one. But if I did, I can totally just picture like, just, it just never, it just keeps coming. It's just, <laughs> you're just shoveling and shop backing and the water just keeps coming in. Yeah, it, was, <sighs> it was the most frustrating thing I've, I've had to do. And we, the, the neighbor dog, uh, the neighbor's dog would, you know, as I was shoveling water out, the the dog thought I was playing, so it would get in the in the way of me throwing the water. <laughs> and it was, you know, I would never, we'll never forget that. We have lots of those weird stories where things just, you know, they just did not go well, basically. Well, definitely when things go wrong, it is easier if you can laugh at them. And that normally comes sure. with, with time, I would say. I'm still not really laughing about my story, but so I will just get get into my story here. And then again, guys, think of some think of some stories because we're going to we're going to get some input from the listeners here soon. So 
tiny bit of background. I really consider myself having become a real estate investor when not really when I had my first rental because I just kind of moved into a new house and rented out my other house and was kind of just winging it. But when I took the first conscious step to go from that single family home to a duplex because the numbers were better and, and things like that was when I really thought, you know, okay, now I'm, I'm taking a conscious step towards being a real estate investor. And that was recent. I mean, that was, you know, October, 2019 that, you know, we bought that and it was in like a rough area of the city. Some would say potentially ghetto, but it was rough. Like while we were under contract, there was a murder on the block, you know, we kept going with it. And so we bought this duplex. It's like the way that it's in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's about a like less than a mile away from the Rays baseball stadium. It's like in a decent theoretical area, but it needs it certainly needs a boost. Um, so we were hoping for some appreciation. Of course, everything's going fine for six months. Get both sides rented. No problem. But of course, March 2020 hits. Right. The world shuts down. Yada, yada. You guys were there. You remember we get this call from our, well, not us, our project manager gets the call from the, our 64-year-old single guy tenant. And he says, hey, I'm not gonna be able to make my rent payment for April. And we're like, well, that makes sense because you work at a restaurant and the restaurants are closed, right? So my mid-April, we're not hearing from him. And we're like, what's going on? Finally, when we do get a hold of him, he's like, yeah, I'm living at my mom's. And we're like, okay, what's going on with the unit? And he's, he had moved his 26 year old. That's almost a 40 year difference. If you're doing the math girlfriend in without our knowledge, the two had gotten in a fight on April 4th. He tried to get her to leave. He closed her arm in the door. The cops were called. She listed um, that, that unit that we own as her address. And that made it her place of residence. And then she got basically a restraining order against him and he could not go home. Couple this with a moratorium on evictions. So we now have basically a squatter. We have no lease with this person. Um, so it's not really even an eviction that we would be doing. Um, it's, it's called something else. But of course, like I'm freaking out, right? Like we went from my, my first primary was our first rental, this beautiful area. And I'm trying to be slick and buy in this place where I'm going to get a lot of appreciation, right? And, you know, obviously had COVID not happened, things would probably be different. But so we end up with a squatter. We're, we're consulting multiple attorneys. None of them want to touch the situation with this moratorium in place. And this is, you know, that was a, certainly a new thing. It, it's still just a new thing. Nobody really knows exactly how to navigate that. So we, over the course of about three months, you know, we're calling the squatter, we're knocking on the door, we're posting notices, and we're also feeling com fielding complaints from the neighbor, you know, our other tenant. And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry she moved a homeless man in. I don't know what I can do for you, right? Unless she abandons the place for more than 14 days or 15 days, whatever the Florida rules are, I can't go in. Three weeks later, get a phone call from that tenant. Hey, haven't seen her in three weeks. I was like, perfect. So we go in because it's abandoned, right? The place smells really bad. Sorry, guys, you're going to get another reference to maggots here. There's food. There's maggots in the food. There was um, the utilities were shut off, which, yeah, it sounds like you can't do that during this moratorium on evictions and during COVID. But she had um, her utilities in her name somewhere else, so she couldn't get utilities in her name there. Obviously, her ex-boyfriend, our former tenant, 
had turned them off. So she was stealing them for a while, which I didn't know you could do. Did you know you can break meters and steal water and electricity? And so, um, you know, those, those had been shut off. She continued to use the toilet. Um, I'll leave it at that. So we go in, it's disgusting. Um, my husband actually went in and saw everything. So that like, I appreciate that he had to deal with most of that that day. So we call a locksmith, change the locks because again, she's, she's abandoned the place. I'm not sure how she found out because overnight she broke in somewhere around this time. Also, there was another murder on the street across the street, um, which I forgot to mention, but so she breaks back in, she grabs like her ID and some clothes and then she's, she's gone. So we call the cops. They're like, yeah, we know her. We were here when she bit the homeless guy that she moved in. I was like, Oh my God, what has been going on over here? And so so um, we got in there and we hired um, like a like a guy with a truck, like a van and like a trailer off of the street to load her stuff up, move it. We got a storage unit, moved her stuff into a storage unit because that's like legally what you have to do for tenants. Again, she's a squatter, so I don't really know. But I was like, let me just cover all bases. You know, I, of course, have been call- had been calling her for like weeks. Got a call the next day. She wanted to know where her stuff was. So that's fine. I gave her that key and then she, she had the, you know, she ended up not paying and lost her stuff. I know that for a fact, but she did call me right away once we had her furniture, which was probably not even her furniture. So that's, that was kind of rough. Um, on the bright side, again, kind of like, like Steven's story, it was really a matter of getting like a deep cleaning of the place, getting the utilities turned back on. It, uh, that was only like, honestly, like, a few hundred bucks, 500 bucks, something like that. We obviously had some cost to pay the guy off of the street with the trailer. And then also, you know, for the storage unit, we got it for two months instead of one, just went a little extra there for her. And, you know, so we got it, we got it renovated. We got it rented. I think it was like a month later. And so we lost um, in total about six months of rent and then like the, the cost and stuff to get it turned. So it was about $5,000. And that was last year, that tenant that moved in, she stopped paying after about four months or so, didn't pay for about six. That one, however, ended up getting rental assistance. So we are paid up, but I am done with that one. That that duplex is, there's a cash offer on it. It's due to be sold um, next week. And we're going to 1031 exchange into a six unit and completely go all short-term rentals because by God... I'm not doing that again. So, so I'm through this story, Lauren. I've been trying to picture what this woman looks like, so I can never encounter this person. What did you ever? <laughs> did you ever? <laughs> she sounds like I. I, I don't want to. Anyways, did you ever meet her? We never met her. We did when my husband went in there that like that first day. Once our other tenant told us she had abandoned it, he like took a picture of her ID. She was just this young girl. She was black and young and she like had glasses. She looked like the girl next door could have been like in high school, almost just like looked a little nerdy in her picture. It wasn't anything that I was really expecting her to look like. Again, she was young. You know, she was like, she was like 26 and her ID was like, it wasn't a driver's license. It was, um, like a uh, like a learner's permit so yeah that was like that was wild so and this was like this was your first or second 
property? Yeah, second. Like this, this is pretty early. So yeah. what, what what made you even want like this is horrific. <laughs> what made you want to continue with this? Like with real estate? Yeah. So we were under contract. So we were under contract for this, like this bed and breakfast, which is the house like that I'm sitting in right now. We were under contract on this when she stopped, when they stopped paying. We were already under contract on this. And this is we own three properties. This is number two. We bought another one this year, but that was number one of what we own right now. And we went from, you know, it was, I bought a primary, then I bought a second primary, rented my first primary out and then sold that to buy this duplex. So, I mean, you say we've kept going, but I'm getting away from long-term renting. (laughs) I like the Airbnbs better. It's a lot more work, but people are happy. Um, They pay if they were to squat they walk out the door. I hit a button on my phone and the lock changes. If they stay, I can call the cops and be like, I have trespassers, right? Like this person's in there, no lease, totally squatting. I didn't even mention that she changed the locks like immediately on us. And there's nothing I could do. Like I couldn't get into this place that I owned for cash, right? Like $170,000 of my money is sitting there and I couldn't get in and I couldn't collect rent and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Yeah. So can you just, I know you and I have gone over the numbers once before with Airbnb Mm -hmm. versus long-term, but just kind of off the cuff, I think maybe people would be interested just kind of the revenue or the rental difference between a short-term versus a long-term. Like if if you were going to say, is it it two times greater, three times greater? Like what kind of, that, that may be something interesting for people to hear just kind of the revenue or the profit difference between the yeah. two. Yeah. I would say the revenue is probably about 3x and the profits probably about twice. I would say um we have an interesting situation because we bought what was a, at the time a functioning bed and breakfast. And again, we were under contract for this when those people stopped paying, right? So like in April 2020, we were under contract on this 120-year-old place that needed 150 grand of work and we were already, you know, up to our eyeballs in that. So we have two cottages and we have a camper here that we rent out. So they actually wouldn't rent that well as long-term rentals. So it's kind of hard to say what, you know, what the long-term rents would be. Um, the duplex that we bought this year, one side is long-term for $1,250 and the other side we have short-term. And I think we get about three to three to $4,000 a month on that left side. So that's kind of a little more direct comparison. And then, yeah, 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 we're going to a six unit. It's four, two bedrooms, two, one bedrooms. And those units should each do in revenue between twenty five and forty thousand dollars. So, yeah, 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 first time six. So that's much better than getting nine hundred aside and not even that from this duplex. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, that was rough. So, that's guys, awesome. I kept it yeah. up. I'm just saying, if you can get through that, you can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does anybody have any stories? If you give me, like, oh, I guess Stephen, are there any? Um, are there any questions? Uh, no, I haven't received. Okay. Let me just check. Uh, no, I haven't received anything. Finance hippie did DM me and made fun of my story with the meat in the wall and my father-in-law with crypto because <laughs> him and I have a bit of a Googling back and forth on that. But <laughs> he did ask, what's your vacancy rate on Airbnb, Lauren? 
Yeah. So we've been doing Airbnb since January. Our vacancy from January to July was about 10%. And then August and September was like, well, we took a month long renter in the bigger cottage. So that was completely like booked in that time. But it was more like 50% vacancy. And then October has been about 80%. October and then and then November, probably looking about 80% as well. Um, our season really is January through through about July or so. So we're gearing up for that. So like we did um we did so we did a couple of roofs here on the property. We got a new AC, we're getting it tented, tented and bonded for termites. We're kind of gearing up right now to go straight through season. If we only have, you know, about 10% vacancy, I also um, instituted something called Price Labs, which is a pricing software. So the revenue should be should be much higher this year as well if the vacancy stays anywhere near what it was last time. So just just so I'm totally clear, so when you say like in October, vacancy is eighty percent. So eighty percent of the oh, time, no, there's sorry. nobody there. No, I'm sorry, occupancy. Occupancy is eighty percent. Eighty percent. So even even in your in your off season right now, you're getting. Well, I mean, obviously. Yeah, but the prices, like, like, yeah, with price labs, the prices are at like our, our like quote unquote like base right now. So it's different pricing than we would get the rest of the time. But yeah, um, the the vacancy hasn't hasn't been super high in October. August and September were really really slow. And actually, we did a couple of Airbnb swaps in that time. So like somebody from Wisconsin came and stayed in August, and then we went and stayed at their place in September you know, for free. And then we had somebody come from um, Kansas city in September when we would have been like slow and maybe not having anybody there. And we're going to stay for free in their place next week. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing with the August and September slow times is trying to get some swaps. Okay. So um, anybody, anybody, I don't have gotten any speaking requests. Yeah, if you guys have any stories or anything, uh, any real estate horror stories, please share them. Um, while you're maybe submitting those request stories, uh, I, I can, can share another. Yeah, no, Clint, you've been, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, super, super fun one. This was my, this was 2017 and it was our first tenant. The We use a property manager, so we generally don't expect to get many calls. And a lot of people who are thinking about real estate finance hippie, I know I posted this as a comment to yours the other day about very little involvement in our real estate over the years. Our property manager found a couple, they seemed great on paper, did all the checks, everything checked out. Within a few months, he messaged us and keep in mind first tenant we ever had within a few months he messages us and says hey the tenant stopped paying and you know they were late a couple times but every time i followed up they'd give me the money this time they haven't been giving me the money so we gave him the go ahead to evict them and it turned out somewhere in between him doing the credit checks and the police background checks uh, there, there had been a warrant issued for the guy's arrest. Uh, I'm assuming that he went down a bad path with drugs and alcohol or something of the like. 
but things were not looking good. They said, give us a couple days, we'll be out. And when he got into the space, it was a disaster. And they had stolen our washer and dryer. So we're about three or four months into this house. And our, our very first tenant ever vacates the premises. And they took our washer and dryer with them. Just imagine, middle of the night, you're like carting a washer and dryer down a flight of stairs. Because I know how these townhouses were built. My company is the one that built them. You know, it's the stackable washer and dryer on the second floor. And they, they uh, took those You out. can almost hear it clunking down the stairs as they yeah, go. Right, right. <laughs> Just yeah. chipping away at the laminate. Do you guys have to provide those? Clint, are you expected to provide those? A lot of people in at least this area, a lot of landlords do not provide washer dryers because they're sick of them walking off. Well, the... Uh, because I buy these from the company, the company has the washers and dryers right. in them. So it's already there and I don't take them out for the tenant. That way, you know, it, sell, it rents for a little bit more. And, you know, the one thing I learned, I, I was doing a little more Buddhism and mindfulness at the time. And a lot of people said, you know, did that turn you off of real estate? And you must have been so angry at those tenants. And really what it comes down to is look at the... Yes, we work hard. Yes, we invest. And at the end of the day, with our real estate investments, we're pretty blessed. And over mm -hmm. the long term, we'll definitely be blessed. So the way I looked at that one, yeah, we got hit on our very first tenant. But imagine the life that you have to be leading where you need to steal my washer and dryer to live. And so that, you know, Lauren, we've talked, like, how do you get through these things as mm -hmm. a landlord? And you just put yourself in their shoes. That life where they need to steal my washer and dryer to get, what, 500 bucks? Uh, must be a horrible life. And so we got through it. And that unit now, we've owned that one for about four or five years. Purchased it. All of the units that I owned, I tend to purchase as pre-sale projects. So probably got that one under contract in 2015, and it's likely worth 50, 60% more than I paid for it. So, hey, they got my washer and dryer, but <laughs> I did all right as well. Right. That's that's a great way to look at it. Um, when this, when my kind of, you know, COVID squatter is how I think of her, when she was in there, you know, we were also, you know, in our, <laughs> up to our eyeballs and renovating this 120-year-old and breakfast and it was like a lot at the time but I did have that thing where you know she in the and one of the tenants I have in there now looks very similar they know their rights they know the laws they know what they can and can't get away with and it just makes you wonder sometimes like what kind of life could they have if they applied this you know in like a good way and became experts at, you know at something something different than this and it does my heart truly truly goes out to these types of people that are just trying to you know pull one over on you constantly because if they're living all of their life and handling all of their relationships that way it's just they're not having they're not having the same life experience that you or I am Clint for sure absolutely um we do I, oh, I, just, I just want to piggyback real quick off of Clint's um 
earlier this year, I did have a tenant um, who stopped paying rent, who stole my appliances, who then sued me for emotional distress of evicting them. Um, when I realized that they were moving from my house to a shelter, I agreed to refund their deposit. Um, and then I went inside and saw that they trashed the house and stole the appliances. And yes, uh, Clint, I have the same mentality. They, they you know, she, uh, she ended up in a, a shelter. Um, and if that $500 she got for my fridge and my stove, um, got her somewhere better than that, then more power to her. And it's just one of those things that comes with landlording. I've had appliances disappear multiple times over the past 17 years. And, um, Lauren, I don't provide, like I, even in Texas now, we don't do refrigerators anymore. Um, because I've had them disappear on me so much. So I don't do the washer and dryer. I don't do the refrigerator. I do do a stove. I do do the dishwashers, but, um, yeah, it's, it's happened several times to me as well. Yeah. And yet we, we persist, right? Cause we, Believe it or not, guys, we like this. Um, all right, so we have a we had a speaking request from um, Penny Drop. Hi, yes, I'm I'm Mary. Um, Hi, Mary. How are you? Good. Thanks for thanks speaking. For, yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, I actually uh, live in the Tampa St. Pete area as well, so I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, very entertained by your story. I've looked in St. Pete and um, and never found anything. So I'm kind of like, okay, I, I'm going to keep your story in mind if I as we as yeah. we find property. I can draw some boundaries <laughs> for you if you want. <laughs> Please. Um, we actually, uh, I uh, my my story is nothing compared to. There's no meat and walls, and there's nothing like um, squatters. So. But uh, basically, we, we kind of got started in 2019, um, just kind of trying to figure out the whole rental thing and then um, bought our first property in Holiday, so, um, and, uh, and, and which is kind of north of the Tampa area for everyone else. And, um, and it, literally, it happened as COVID was happening, so that like the day that everyone had to wear masks in the area was like the day of our closing, so... It was very, it was interesting. And we thought, oh, great, the market will crash now. And of course, like everything skyrocketed. But um, we decided to sell our, um, the house that we had bought eight years previous because it basically doubled in price um, and then turned that into rentals. And um, so we found a duplex. <laughs> and then when we were looking at the duplex, the realtor's like, oh, the one next door is for sale. So we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the first duplex was like questionable, but we're like, no, we'll make it work because we're going to get this other duplex and it'll all be great. Um, and so then, of course, that has become our money pit kind of, you know, we've done every single thing wrong uh, that you're kind of not supposed to do. So um, firstly, to back up a second, as we were selling our house, um, I was pregnant, COVID pregnant. So... <laughs> It was like, uh, well, we have to go through with it because now we have all these plans um, and we decided to go through with the duplex as well. But instead of having the tenants get out and we renovate um, because we did buy with cash, um, it wouldn't have passed a four point. It needed a ton of work. So we were going to have the tenants leave and then 
you know, fix it up and then raise the rents $300 a month, you know. Um, we were like, well, we're about to have a newborn. Maybe we'll just, you know, fix the stuff for the four point and we'll leave the tenants in and we'll do it all at the same time. Um, and of course, I would never recommend anyone ever do that. But um, so that that was just basically it, like trying to schedule, you know, both tenants for the roof. We, it needed AC on both sides. Um, and then the company we went with didn't install uh, one of the sides correctly. So it's shut down like three times, which in Florida, I have a thing about like, if anything, the AC has to work in Florida in the summer, right? Um, so getting them back out as an emergency is like a brand new AC and like three times within a month and a half, I had to call, make sure the tenant was home. And she, her son now has moved in. She's like 62. Her son is 46 and he lives with his mother and he doesn't work. So it's kind of one of like those just, uh, yeah, interesting scenarios where if we just gotten the tenants out when we were buying the place, it would be a lot less of a headache. So I do recommend, I've, I've had inherited tenants um, and they've been great, but when you need a ton of work to the place, uh, I recommend getting tenants out. Um, but so now the inside still has to be completely remodeled. So we, right now we're just kind of, you know, and then we get like weekly things like the, the drawer broke and the AC filter, what do we do? You know, uh, the light bulb's out and we're like, <laughs> you can't replace the light bulb. Like, so I'm there like nine months pregnant talking to them about like, Ugh. I don't know, some ridiculous thing. And I was like, uh. anyway, so they're, they'll <laughs> coming up in March or it'll be like April um, we're going to be telling them that we're not renewing their leases and then we'll be renovating the inside. But anyway, it was one of those like, well, yeah, that makes sense because I'm pregnant and we won't, we don't want to worry about renovating. And then it's, yeah. been, you know, so the other place though, we don't even hear from the people. They're great. So it's kind of one of those things. Well, we wouldn't have gotten the other property without the, the money pit. So, um, anyway, so that, yeah. was, that was, uh, my thing. <laughs> no, that's, that's really good. And really, really good advice. I think it's hard when you have paying tenants to, first of all, make someone need a new place to live, right? You hate, tell someone you have to find a new home. You do. Yeah. And then the other side of it is, you know, they're paying, so you want to like keep taking their money. Right. So, yeah. yeah and they had both both sides have been in there um well because they're paying nine hundred dollars and yeah. you know um we just rented out one of the other units that's next door for 1250 so that's yeah. kind of what how big of a yeah. discount they're getting so of course they don't want to leave um yeah so they are paying though so we're like i'll take it right now right and covid was still kind of going on yeah. in the summer so we're like well if we have paying tenants you might as well yeah so <laughs> Well, your attitude is amazing, and uh, I hope I hope I hope the baby is appreciative of all you went through. Yes, we will regale him one day. About, <laughs> you know, you thank us. You know, for this. But anyway, but yeah. Well, thank so you, thanks, guys. Thanks for sharing, Mary. Um, and um, Scarlett, you were our next request, and then Dad Money. Yeah, perfect. Can you guys hear me? Loud and clear. Yep. Okay, perfect. I haven't done this Twitter thing before. So, okay, um, I'll try to make this one quick in regard to my stories. Definitely not as cool as some of your guys' stories. But um, I do have one property I'm living in 
um, another property that we're planning on moving out and renting out. So we're kind of new. My husband and I are new to this rental investing thing, but um, I'll kind of set the scene for my experience, my, I guess, version of my horror story. But this was back in 2019. We were originally looking for the property that we're in right now. And when we were trying to find a property, we're trying to find something that we could live in for a short period of time and then eventually move out, rent it and whatnot. And it is a townhouse. So this townhouse is attached to another townhouse. It looks like a duplex, but it's not. You can buy them individually. So when we were, when we bought the house at the closing, the owner said, oh, hey, we own the other side. So, you know, we're going to be selling it probably within the next year. And we're like, oh, cool. Of course we are interested. We move in and it was, gosh, three, I think about three months later, they go ahead and put it on the market and we're like, oh my gosh, like we, we want that property because we know it's a, it a good deal. That was the whole reason we moved into this one. And so it was extremely stressful because um, I was in physical therapy school and my husband was trying to figure out how to find money for this down payment because we weren't financially prepared to buy the other side, but we knew we wanted it. So we were super stressed out. He was stressed out the most, but um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because the inspector for our side of this like townhouse duplex thing um feel we feel like he missed a whole bunch of little things I'm not sure if he was new or whatnot but the horror story part of this comes in where we actually ended up getting that other side so that was our first rental property us being new it was obviously a very stressful event because we didn't know what was going on but when we got it rented the first day that the tenants were in, somehow the same we got the same inspector um, to do the other side because we needed it to be quick. And I don't know, we knew him from our side. But the first night that he was in or the tenants were in, literally the garage. Um, so the bathroom and plumbing was above the garage and it all just started caving in. And oh. it was like... For us, now we live next door, which was nice, but we were terrified because we had no idea what to do. <laughs> it was their, their first night. And so as um, landlords, of course, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> and we're pretty young. We're in our upper 20s. And um, it was just a terrible and expensive experience. Um, so it's a, it's a short story, but it was just one of those things where, yes, we got it fixed. But at the time, because we're so stressed with first getting the money for the down payment for yeah. the house and going through the closing and then they move in and then all this ceiling ca caves in. Like it was just a really, of course, of course it did. <laughs> of course it did. But that's the thing about real estate. Like none of us know what we're doing. I, I, I guess I could just put a period there, but I was going to say definitely none of us know what we're doing when we get started and we're kind of all winging it all the time. I think <laughs> I love JT's like, yes, 100. <laughs> Yeah, every single day, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Dad, money, your turn. Hey, so uh, this will be short, and it's actually not much of a story. I have uh, thankfully been very fortunate. My real estate has been uh, pretty short and pretty easy. I actually inherited the property that I have now uh, from my grandfather whenever he passed. So I've always, I, I love hearing that you guys are pretty lenient on, on rules and with uh, some of the stories that you've shared, your, your mindful approach to that uh, has kind of been the same that I've had as this is 
basically just free money to me. Uh, the property is paid off and I'm just collecting. So, um, that being said, I mean, I've been very fortunate. I don't have a horror story, but I did want to mention that uh, the movie that you guys are thinking of with the meat in the walls, the bodies in the walls is uh, from Sicario, which was a pretty rad movie. Um, and I just wanted to, to point that out. That was the movie that that's from. <laughs> Well, good. Hopefully none of us find any bodies in the wall. But that was what I was going to... Anybody who knows me even remotely knows I'm super into true crime. And I was like, oh my god, it's a dead body in the wall. <laughs> but it wasn't. <laughs> That's all. Uh, I've been listening. This has been great. So. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate thank that. you. And thank you for refreshing um, Steven's memory. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we have another request uh, for the mic with Eric, I think it is. Can't see your last name, Eric Jan, and then it kind of periods off. But we did have a couple of questions uh, that were DM'd here. Um, so yeah, frugal. Uh, yeah, just maybe we'll just do a couple of questions, uh, DM questions in first, and then we'll um, give you the mic there. Uh, so frugal mogul, he asked, you know, with all these different um, horror stories, has it made you rethink? real estate or want to get out of real estate altogether and he just wants the kind of the panel to answer that the uh i'll i'll jump in on that one i think i want you all and every real estate investor ever to have as many horror stories as possible so less and less people are inclined to buy real estate and i will continue to buy <laughs> as much real estate as i can physically capital wise possibly do um and hope that someone will lend me a billion dollars to do it because if i have a billion dollars of real estate someday i'll be a billionaire and it'll be 30 years after i buy all the real estate so uh, it's such a simple program it's an easy way for people who uh, aren't uh, super smart which is how i like to uh, think of these things uh, to get rich slowly over time in a way that isn't easy, but it is simple. I see what you did there. So, <laughs> I like it. So for, for me, definitely not. Um, with all the fires and shootings and stolen appliances and bed bugs, I still recommend real estate for sure. I'm all in. Um, probably by the time we do the next spaces, I'll have two more doors in my portfolio. And uh, we are actively... Uh, looking at a, a single family here in Dallas. So no, I, I plan on sticking with it. I, I learn from every experience and I've, you know, tweaked my leases over the years and I've learned and I don't do this again. And that's why I don't have washers and dryers in there. And um, I definitely still recommend real estate as a awesome way of earning extra income while someone else is paying down my mortgage for me. Absolutely. Well, and, and my, my answer is, you know, it was in my story where I, yeah, it, it's had me, I've, I've rethought buying in um, a not so great area and I have rethought long-term rentals altogether as we're buying short-term rentals. We're making sure that the numbers work as long terms um, so we can flip them if we ever need to due to regulations or for, you know, if the economy crashes and people stop vacationing here in Florida. Um, but it is, it's certainly made me rethink things. I mean, 
in the last two years, you know, I've bought a duplex in a terrible area, renovated a 120 year old home with two ADUs, bought another duplex. Like I was in theory prepared for real estate investing. Like I'm a huge reader. I listen to the bigger pockets podcast, but I wasn't prepared for how real estate would change me. And what I mean by that is I don't think any other investment class requires you to flex and learn and grow like real estate does. You know, so when I set out on this journey and and to some extent dragged my husband with me, um, I, I didn't know that real estate would teach me what, you know, parents of millennials have always said to us, which is, you know, you can do anything you put your mind to, right? Like that's how I, that's what I grew up hearing. And, you know, with real estate, even in the just like a little over two years that I've been really serious about it, it would be very hard to throw something at me that would make my blood boil, that would piss me off. That It's just like, okay, that's what we're doing now, you know? Oh, there's a leak in a roof? Call the roofer. Oh, it's a toilet thing? Call the plumber, you know? Well, somebody needs towels? Okay, call the cleaner, whatever it is, right? Um, and this kind of confidence and this kind of growth, it does not it doesn't show up on the spreadsheets, you know, but you, everybody knows what they say is true. You cannot grow in your comfort zone and real estate's going to force that growth right out of you. Yeah. For me, um, uh, I, I'm just getting started. So to me, it's everything that happens to me is a learning opportunity and it helps me basically change uh, how I approach things and, um, it's, it's, it's not something that I will, I, that makes me want to stop. It makes me want to keep going more and learning more uh, every single day so that I can just get better at it. Um, I knew we, we, we went in knowing that things would be tough at times and, and it did get tough, but you know, this property that I was at, that I was talking about right now, it's doing really well. It's making us a lot of cash flow and every little mistake that we made and every situation we were put through, it has made it worth it because it worked out at the end. So um, I just, I just want to keep going basically uh, no matter how bad things get. Awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll be really quick on my answer. Um, And I, I, and, and I hope also I can summarize a lot of what uh, Tom Lauren and and Clint and JT have said too. So, as you go through and as I've have gone through these experiences, um, some other experiences that I haven't really said. But you know, most of the time, it's minor stuff that's just a pain in the ass, like mice or the water doesn't work, or you know, those are kind of the minor things that you kind of step through. But as you go through these experiences, you you find a new trade, or you learn a new skill, or you find a new technique or method that you're now able to leverage the next time a similar experience happens. For example, in the last house that we flipped, we had a sloping floor. And when we estimated it, we thought it was going to cost us 20 grand to fix the floor. We found a framer who fixed it for $2,000. And now we know going forward, whenever we have a problem with framing or flooring, we can call this guy and he can come in dirt cheap does good work and, and fix that. So now going forward, when we're looking for a new home to flip, uh, framing, flooring, not an issue for us. We know how to fix that because we know a trade that can help us with that. And I think Tom, you can relate to this 
where you have a team with you who can help in, you know, you got a really reliable team that you pay well, they're timely, they do good work. And so you're able to, to leverage them. I, I, I don't, I don't mean leverage in a, in a bad way, but like you're able to definitely ready to go. Yeah, I have my, I, I have my Texas team up in Ohio right now. Um, just getting the job done. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. So that, that so um, for myself, uh, my, my short to medium term goal uh, relates to accumulating a particular number of Bitcoin. So I want to, I get that squared away first. And then once I have that number, then I'm, turning over to real estate and I want to get another rental property. So to answer the question, no, uh, I'm not shy from real estate and I'm going to do more once I accomplish uh, a a short-term goal for myself. Perfect. All right. So I do want to finish this up by 11 o'clock Eastern time because guys, that time change has got me. Um, So we've got about 12 more minutes here. Um, Eric, why don't you go ahead and share your story with us? Yeah, thanks. I forgot some of you weren't in central time, so that's really late for you guys. Um, I'm Eric. I'm from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I actually bought my first property this April, so 2021, um, and I'm just getting started. Uh, My horror story is similar to what Lauren and Clint shared in that um, first properties are hard, especially with inherited tenants. Um, Actually, while we were going through the closing process, the seller told me that they were planning to evict the current tenant because they hadn't been paying. Um, I thanked him for being honest and doing that. Um, and then a couple weeks later, he said, nope, they caught up. It's all good. Uh, six weeks after closing, I get a call from the seller that says they didn't actually catch up. They just told me they were going to pay me and they never paid. Um, so now I have a new property with uh, one empty unit that's just getting filled and then a unit that... Uh, has people who I don't think they had paid rent in a year and also hadn't applied for any aid. Um, I uh, work with a project or a property manager. So I wasn't keeping track like, you know, on May 1st that they had paid rent. So I had to reach out to them and and sort of get things rolling. Um, We did get the code, get an eviction started, but of course COVID made it really, really complicated. Um, We got lucky in the uh, eviction got approved um, we were in the the lull between uh, moratoriums there, um, and the tenants just started begging for options. So we made a plan and said, "Hey, if you can get us two thirds of the rent um, by a certain day, right? Fill out all of the paperwork for the state aid, right? And you can get the aid checks coming in. We'll let you guys stay, you know, for a little while." Um, they didn't make the payment. My property manager filled out all the paperwork for them to get aid. Um, and they wouldn't sign, they wouldn't show up to sign the paper. Um, so I don't know what was going on there. Um, a simple signature seems like they could have stayed and, um, and wouldn't have been a big deal. They wrote to the courts and actually got the court to overturn the eviction, um, because the new COVID, uh, uh, regulations had come back in. Um, so then they got to stay for another month. Um, but then my property manager managed to get them re-evicted. Um, whenever they were able to share that they wouldn't sign the paperwork and wouldn't get the aid. So this, a lot of this COVID back and forth, similar to your stories, um, similar to what I think Lauren, you had shared, we had to pay to move their stuff mm-hmm. um, yep. into a, into a real unit. I've spent $5,000 on moving costs, just getting them out. Um, and that's not right. And that's in addition to 
six or eight months of, of lost rent at this point. Um, and now they've been gone for seven or eight weeks, but everyone's short staffed, including my property manager. And so yep. I don't even have the unit listed again yet because I haven't been able to get in there to uh, do the paint and carpet that needs to be done to get it listed. So um, been a super struggle with the first one. With that <laughs> being said, two weeks ago, I closed on property number two and I found out today that we have tenants starting December 1st. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it did so not get you down. <laughs> it did not get me down. Uh, my, wife is ready, my wife is ready to sell the first one, but she's happy with the second one. Um, <laughs> so it's been, I think COVID has certainly made things a struggle, right? And I think we could have renamed the second half of this thing, right? Problems with the first thing you bought. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so it's, uh, I think it's going to work out. I'm remaining confident that it's going to work out. Um, but right, COVID, tenants that don't pay having to move and store their stuff uh, really, really adds up, especially when it's the first one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in theory, you know, my family, they were like, why would you buy there? Why would you buy on the South side of St. Pete? And I, I was like, you know, the numbers are better than on the single family home that I have. And, you know, I was like, if I have to evict, I'll just evict. It's like a couple grand. It's like 45 days. <laughs> right famous last words when when COVID yeah. came around there so but I think that's Eric that's freaking amazing that you're like you're still like doing it you're like this is I believe in this I believe in real estate I believe in investing in real estate and I'm going to keep going even through this so I think that's awesome um Stephen any more questions or should we wrap this um, thing up yeah no the last the, well let me just see yeah, I, I do have one more question yeah no there's no others okay so the last question i had was uh from finance hippie it said or he asked uh when will you all quit your nine to five? Oh, is, <laughs> is my boss on here <laughs> um I'll, I'll go i'll go um our goal, so as I mentioned in the top, um, my husband and I are three years apart. I'm older. Um, he is an owner in an engineering firm. Um, he just became, you know, partial owner. So he is going to be working there for at least 10 years or so. Um, I am 32 and I would like to be done with my, my full-time job in three years. I could probably do it anytime, especially with, you know, my husband, you know, continuing to work. He may even go part-time at some point, but me personally at, at, at 35 with the 12 units, um, that will be enough to basically almost replace my nine to five income. And from a retirement perspective, we are basically at Coast FI if you look at our 401ks and our, our Roth IRA. So, um, so that, that's me. It's kind of funny. We were we were just talking about this. Steven, do you have a do you have a time frame yet? Um so I got my Bachelor of Commerce in two thousand and three. I started working, I was twenty five. And for some reason my goal has always been fifty two or two point four, whatever happens first. And uh, so I think it, it, so mentally in my head, that's kind of where I'm, I'm heading towards. Um, and so I'm, it, it's hard for me to mentally say I'm, I'm going to stop at, at 40. So I'm, I'm 43 right now. I have three kids 
and um, I want to manage through that risk of, of kids. They, they're expensive and they bring unique spending opportunities in life. And so I want to kind of get the, my youngest is four. So I just want to kind of get her into the teens. So, um, but things have gone better than expected over the last year. And so, you know, that goal of 52, I would love it if that could come down to 48 or 47. Um, cash flow is really good right now. Um, most of you know that I, I mine Ethereum, I validate Ethereum. Ethereum keeps on doing more than I ever thought it would ever do. Um, and so if that continues on its current trajectory and if it plays out the way that some of these fellows are saying it could, um, like I, I, I never... I don't think I've ever given an Ethereum price prediction because in my mind, it's like, I don't want to say what it could be because it's just too unrealistic in my mind. Like it's just too fantastic. It's too unreal because it'll completely change my life if it becomes what they say it'll become. And so I've hitched my wagon to that one. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful for it, but I, yeah, if it if it pans out the way it could, yeah, maybe in two or three years, I'm 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 hooking and I'm just running running that full time, um, and so uh, so I don't know four or five years, let's say uh, I want to get out, but you know at the same time I I do enjoy like I'm self employed, um, I kind of run my own show and I enjoy the work that I do. Um, I essentially do consulting for, for corporations and help them like for, for the last two, three months. I've been, this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous, but I make a PowerPoint for vice presidents. And the irony is that Twitter helps me make better PowerPoints because you know how we try and make good, quick, strong, concise language that really helps with communication with VPs because they don't have time. They don't like the verbose, just give me the point, man. Just get to it, you know? And Twitter helps with that so much, right? That, that, that quick, right to the point communication really helps. And so Twitter helps with my professional career as well, too. And so um, I know I'm getting long-winded here, um, but it, I enjoy my nine-to-five as well, too. So to wanna, why would I want to unhook that income that comes in many ways quite naturally, and I enjoy it, and uh, I get to rub elbows with some powerful guys and, and women too. And, uh, so I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really motivated to try and stop the nine to five. I think it's more, I would want to change my creative outlet, create a different product or create a different online something or other that, I don't know what that would be exactly right now. But, um, so I think down that line is, is where I'd want to go. I, I, I can't see myself not working with, you know, at the, when we started this, podcaster spaces it was i i'm a kind of a workaholic and my wife does tag me on that quite a bit she says you need to spend more time with the family you're doing way too much with all this stuff so i can't really see stopping i'm just one of those guys that always wants to be doing something um i'm i'm busy 24 7 so yeah i'm long long winded i'll stop there i think i've kind of made the point but Thanks, Steve. And we're the same age, so everything you're saying makes sense to me. We've talked about this before. Uh, I have a date. 
it's five years from now. So my target is 2026. One thing I never talk about much in my writing that makes it really hard is although I work for other people, the amount they pay me is very, very high. Um, I think I qualify probably as, you know, it feels weird to say it, but as a one percenter in almost any city that I live in, and that allows me to buy the real estate I do and make the investments that I make, it will be hard to give that income up. So I can only do it if I'm able to achieve a level of financial success outside of the business that's able to support it. I will never in my life stop working. I am similar to Steven. I go 24-7. I probably put about 20 or 30 hours a week of work into Twitter. As an example, like Lauren, I host a podcast. Uh, that podcast requires me to read a book every single week. The, so there's, there's always going to be something. I write books. There's always going to be something. It will just be that when I stop in 2026, in five years from now, I love saying that out loud. It's so comforting. makes it so much more real. It will be for me. I won't be working for other people. I probably will start a number of businesses, whether those are real estate businesses, whether those are private equity businesses. I have a goal of having a net worth of $100 million at some point in my life, and I won't give up until I get there. And as part of that, I want to help other people along the way. I think it's achievable. I've worked now over the last 10 years for people who have very high net worth. Uh, some of them are billionaires based on what's happened in real estate. And seeing what they've achieved in their life is they're no more capable than we are. They just had the willingness to put their feet into the fire and continue to buy and continue to grow and continue to leverage their portfolios. My wife is super risk averse, so I've never been able to make that jump of starting that business. When I retire and the passive income from our assets can cover our lifestyle, then I'm free to do what I want. And I wanna go hard. <laughs> I wanna make it seem like the first 48 years of my life, we're playing it safe and now it's time to break down doors and go hard. So five years is the answer, and five years till I change my life and live my dreams instead of making someone else fucking rich. I love that your goal is $100 million. That's, that's awesome, Clint, because I'm like, I wouldn't mind just having 2.4, and I know you're, you're already past that. <laughs> it's it, it just... I think you put out a tweet of not too long ago where it's like when you hang out or you you spend time with people who are oh, I forget how you worded it, but just you know that they're I don't want to say better than you, but like they're they're further ahead of you or they're striving for something bigger than what you're striving for. Like it it has an incredible effect on you, and and you're having that effect on me too, where I'm just like, oh, maybe I need to revise or maybe I can accomplish more, and I really appreciate that for you. I appreciate that from you. Uh, and so I'm glad we've connected and, um, you know, yeah, and I do yeah. look forward to that, that time when we meet together in Vegas, when we cross that hundred K. So oh, we're going to kill it together there. But to your right? point, like the, 
with the circle of friends and colleagues and people I work for, I am often the poorest person in the room. I am often making a lot less annual income than the people I'm around. So when, when you're surrounded by people that are in those situations, it makes you realize there's more. There's more income. There's more wealth. There's more net worth. And when you're friends with those people and you spend a lot of time with them, you also realize what you're capable of given what they've achieved. So, you know, we, my entire life, I always thought that person one rung ahead on the ladder. Like, take, for example, KPMG. You're a senior accountant. You think the managers are so smart. You're a manager. You think the partners are so smart. It, my best friend is now a, a national partner in charge of an entire group. And when we were first years, we thought everyone above us was a genius. So the longer you play the game, the more you do the work, you are as good as those people. You just don't know yet what they knew when they made the moves. And once you know what they know, which everybody on this panel knows now, buy more real estate, lever it up, buy more real estate, lever it up. You keep going and the wealth will show up in time. That's awesome. I think, uh, Tom, you haven't answered yet, have you, with the 9 to 5? I have not. I'm I'm working towards uh, before the time. I'm 38 right now, and I'm working before I turn 40. I always said that I would stop at 10 doors, and uh, by the end of next week, I should have 16 doors. But right now, um, we're really focused on building my um, – husband's portfolio and uh he got his first rental last year uh we should have one more under his uh belt by the end of this year and uh i'm working towards 40. that's incredible um jt did you answer it yet or he said he's requested jt are you there Oh, sorry. I, for some reason, I'm getting issues all over. Can you hear me? Okay. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so my answer, uh, I, I'm just getting started, like I said before, and um, love my job. Um, it's I, I'm a software engineer as my nine to five. So I don't have any intentions of quitting anytime soon. Um, we were able to, you know, my wife is now able to stay home now that we uh, have income, com income coming in from the um, from one of our rentals. So that, you know, that has helped tremendously. Um, so we're probably halfway there. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't see myself quitting anytime soon right now. Cool. Good question. I love that finance hippie, right? Thank you for asking that question. Yeah, th thanks, Finance Hippie, for that question. You, it's kind of very relatable, and I think everyone thinks about it a whole ton, and uh, you got us talking there. So <laughs> I know. Well, Clint's really right. It's like one of those things. You just keep going. I know. Well, Clint's right. We're like, we think about it, but I don't think we say it out loud very much. Right? That whole thing of like manifesting it and kind yeah. of making it happen and stuff like that. Clint, so, wait, hold uh, on. Wait, Steve, real quick. Clint, my husband texted me. He said he's with you. So, I think we might have new goals now. Thank you for that. Boom. 
Mic drop. Um, <laughs> do you? So I, I noticed that Brennan just joined. Hey, Brennan. Um, would you? And and I know I I just want to. You recently just quit your. The question I think you just missed it was. Uh, when do you think you're going to quit the nine to five? And we just went through the panel and we answered that. I would love to hear from you because you're, I think you're 29 and I think you just quit your nine to five to pursue budget dog full time. Is that, is that true? And I'd love it if you wouldn't mind requesting the microphone and just kind of giving us your experience on what that was like, kind of that six months leading into it. And then what these, I think three months you said, has been like leading after it, like, you know, you know what that experience has been like and the product that you're building. And this, as a guy who I would love to be in your shoes, making my own product, 29 years old. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to hear from you. And just, I think other people too, would also like to hear that experience of what it's like to quit nine to five. Yeah. It's definitely been a challenge. I mean, there's, there's challenges with everything, right? I mean, Everyone wants to be out there and say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm free and I'm doing, you know, I'm living the glamorous IG life. And that's just not the case. It's not reality. Um, there's challenges with building a business, as you guys all know. Um, a lot of you guys on here are doing the same, right? So you guys know the challenges that come with that, um, especially with a kid on the way. Um, was That was a big adjustment. So we had a lot of change. We just recently paid off a house. We had a kid. Um I quit my nine to five. I mean, it wasn't just like, you know, all of a sudden we slowly did, you know, drifted out one by one. It was like, boom, 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 boom. And that was like, it was intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Um, one thing that really helped us was my wife still has nine to five. So she has that, we have that security blanket in our back pocket in a sense. Right. I mean, for, for what it's worth at least. And, um, that was one of the big reasons we paid off our house. Um, you know, obviously there was a huge debate on Twitter and we, you know, have fun joking about, you know, 10% versus 3%, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, um, we saw it as an opportunity. We had uh, three incomes with two people essentially for a short amount of time. And we knew that we could attack our house fast and that would eliminate a lot of risk in this situation. Um, and so I don't know if I would have taken that chance if I didn't really aggressively pay off my house and bring down my mortgage or my, my house payment. Um, but since I did, I've actually been able to duplicate, you know, two X or three X my income, um, since I've left and that's been in the last three months, which has been tremendous. So like, there's the argument of, Hey, if I didn't take the chance on the business, it could still be what it was, which was good. But like, since I've taken that chance and I paid off my house and I took that leap of faith, Per se, now I've actually made more money as a result, and therefore the math might work in my favor. Who knows? Um, it's an endless debate, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, a paid-off house, you can't be mad about it. And uh, things are going well right now. I mean, we I just signed a pretty big deal um, today, which was really exciting. Um, one of my first, like, entrepreneurial deals and stuff like that. Um, and I'm, I'm working on building my business, and I know I have a lot to learn. There's so much to learn. I mean, like you said, I'm only 29. Um I could get punched in the face 10 more times along the next, you know, over the next year and learn a lot as a result. So I'm hoping to see um, constant growth and improvement and learn from people like you guys. I mean, I, I'm on here all the time debating, asking questions, trying to figure out people that have, they're smart. You guys are all very smart people. Um, and I, I, I really admire a lot of you guys out there um, with what you guys have to offer. 
And I like to ask questions because I'm curious. I mean, I really am. I don't know. I don't know anything like relatively speaking. And I like to say that a lot because people are like, well, you know, you, you know, finance. It's like, sure. I know finance. I know some things in finance, but none of us know it all. And if you think you do, you're going to fail. So it's, it's nice to see you guys working towards the same goal and us all working together while also debating health, you know, in a healthy way um, to see what we can all accomplish. Cause I think we're all working together for the same goal. And I think it's really cool to see a lot of people come together because you guys know, as you guys know, you leave Twitter and it's just a whole different, it's a whole different world. So that's kind of been my experience so far. I hope that kind of answers the question in a long winded way. Um, and I'll, I'll hand it off to whoever's next. Yeah, no, th- thanks, Brennan. I really appreciate that. And I, I really do admire um, everything that you're doing, especially, you know, like at the age you're at. And I, I think I DM'd you. I'm like, man, where do you find the drive for this? It's, it's absolutely inspiring and absolutely incredible. And I, I you know, I think we've kind of mentioned before, and it's a popular kind of mantra that real estate makes more millionaires than any other asset class. But I think it's true. I think the stats play out for that. But I think the other stat is business and stock have made more billionaires than any other asset class. The risk is higher for sure. And that path that you're pursuing with creating your own business and your own brand and your own product um, although it may be a little more volatile, a little more risky in what you're pursuing. And you got a good foundation you're doing there with the, you know, paying off the house. Like that was a real smart move for where you want to go per your goals. I love that. Um, and long-term you got like a incredible path ahead of you. And I just, um, I don't know, anytime, anytime you, like I got notifications on you forever. Whenever you tweet, you can probably tell that. Cause I'll like, like something as soon as you tweet it out. <laughs> it's cause I just, I love the stuff that you tweet out. You know, it's not the, normal stuff it's always a little off um the norm because it's so unique and you're going in a terrific path and i love following you and and the the product and the brand you're building out there and so thanks for taking some time for sharing that tonight i really appreciate it man yeah i appreciate it a lot of my content guys is really the real life stuff of what i'm trying to do and like that's the thing like i'm not gonna tell you like the textbook answer to everything i'm gonna i'm gonna share my story um and because i think a lot of people are living um, not the textbook way of, of life. And they, they see all these textbook answers and they're like, well, that's not really fitting my situation. Um, so if I can gain um, traction in a following based on my real life, everyday stuff that I'm doing that makes sense for my situation, um, I think that's really important. I like to often bring in you know different perspectives, but also show you both sides of the equation and understand uh, or help you understand why I'm taking the path that I'm taking um, with all the considerations in place. And I think that's really important. So, um, yep, that's what, that's where I'm at right now. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks guys. Uh, as we wrap it up team, one of the things I want to do is get everybody excited and Lauren, I, I, we didn't have this in the notes. So I'm just going impromptu but get everybody excited about what we're going to be doing in our real estate spaces next week, which is taking people deep into, and Brennan, you talked about it a little, is some of the some of the math and some of the theory, let's call it Real Estate 201. We did a little bit of a Real Estate 101 two weeks ago. So a bit of a Real Estate 201 on the dynamics of why real estate is so good from an investment perspective. Uh, more to follow. We're going to be putting together the agenda over the next few days, uh, the four of us and working together on that. We have another 
JT, thank you for joining us tonight for Horror Stories. We have another great sure, anytime. great guest coming and joining us next week. And very excited to have that spaces with everybody. Lauren, I'm going to pass it back to you as the host. Yeah, thanks, Clint. Thanks for teasing that out. Looking forward to that for next week. And I don't have anything else to wrap up. So I think we've probably, we've taken our, taken some, we've told our stories. We've listened to some stories. Um, we put Brennan on the spot. <laughs> we, we've answered some questions. Thanks guys so much for joining. And uh, if there's nothing else from the panel, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up for tonight. Yeah, no, thanks a lot, Brennan. And thanks JT for joining us tonight. Brennan, apologies for putting you on the spot and thanks for being a good sport for that. That was a high risk move on my move on my part. <laughs> I was I, like, I, I oh no, he might guys. not he might not agree to talk. So I'm gonna look like an idiot. <laughs> but thank you so much for saving me, man. No, absolutely. I was uh I was ready to take it and I was like, where's the button to I usually don't join these things. So like I'm like, I know, I know, I know, right? I'm the on the IG side, like, guys. What? Twitter's my secondary home. <laughs> So thanks a lot, man. Thanks for uh, for joining in, and everyone on the panel. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who uh, stuck with us through to the end. Um, really appreciate your participation. Uh, please, if you can, follow everyone who's on the panel here tonight. We love to hear from you guys. If you have any additional questions, DM them to us. And like Clint was saying, we're already working on the program and agenda for next week and uh, real estate two hundred one. Look for that for next Wednesday. Same time, same spot. Thanks, guys. Bye.